Welcome back to Full Metal RPG, episode 89. I'm your host, Brennan Carey, and today I am joined by... Richie motherfucking Buzzkill, what up? How much, man? Oh, maybe a little aggressive there. Hi, I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really getting a, a Randy Macho Man Savage kind of vibe, and you're not feeling it? You're not feeling no, it? Like- I don't want to play that game the entire episode, so oh, be okay. let down well, more quickly. <laughs> I mean, you could you just, just all you got to do is jump through a wall, dude. It's all good. Uh, uh, we're with, with, with Ashley. We're joined by Ashley. What up? Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, and then today we have a very special guest. Uh, Adam Sink could not make it. We are joined by Daryl. What up, Daryl? Hey, good to be back. Like a vertebrae. Oh, <laughs> oh snap. Wow. All right. Well, it is good to have you, man. Um, it is good to have you on the show once again. I always love to hear, uh, hear your voice. And, uh, we're going to be kind of discussing a topic that I think was one of your one of your brain children when we were kind of discussing um, like what we might do with the year in terms of uh, subject matter. So I'm really happy that you were able to make it to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be a part. How's everybody been doing uh, with their hobby time? How's everybody holding up? All right. Pretty good. I've actually been busy, um, which uh, when we were trying to figure out one of the things that we have been doing me and my gaming group um we were trying to schedule time to do like a zoom call or something and we were having trouble finding time to do that i'm like how are we all this busy during the actual apocalypse i don't understand <laughs> right it's like we still have so much going on i was talking to a friend of mine who plays D, and i was like so how's your uh, roll 20 dmd game going and she goes oh no one has time to play anymore <laughs> 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 like, are you serious? It, it took like two weeks of apocalypse before everybody just got back to, oh, I, I don't have time for D&D anymore. It's like, you got to walk to your fucking room and you turn it on the computer and there's your friends. Just, you know, <laughs> what, what, what's the problem? Right. Yeah. It's It's been it's been something. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. All right. Uh, well, uh, this episode of Full Metal RPG is sponsored by our, our patron, Braden Tureen. Braden, what up, man? It's good to thank you so much. It's good to finally uh, dedicate a show to you. Uh, Braden has been with the show for a long time. He also does this crazy black metal artwork. The show has even commissioned art from him from time to time. So thank you, Aaron, for your support over the years and keep that creativity rolling. Additionally, many other thanks out to our other patrons who make Full Metal RPG possible as well. For as little as $1 a month, you can help grow the podcast you hate to love. If you would buy us a drink, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, now it is the part of the show where we go into the black hole. The black hole is the part of the show where all of our time, attention, and money escapes. It is the uh, inescapable draw of hobby gaming. So what have you guys been doing lately? What has been consuming you? Well, I mean, <laughs> other than per- <laughs> yeah, well, you, usually you throw it to somebody. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Oh, uh, wow. Wow. It's on me. I guess. Okay. Richard, yeah, Richard, right. begin, right. begin. Yeah. You know what? Uh, brainstorm. Richard, you start. All right. Fair. Um, so I've been, uh, doing, you know, reading a lot of esoteric enterprises oh, for your game. Oh, good. I love right. to hear it. 
right? And well, considering I, well, we'll get to that in a second. Sure. But, uh, uh, and then I was reading a lot of stuff for Dark Sun, which uh, still hasn't happened yet, but we may have gained some people. So that may happen in a couple weeks. I got to say, uh, it's a bummer that Amazon here. I was defo. I was looking forward to hearing about his frustrations with uh, Dark Sun and it's like uh, uh, the difficulties he's having launching it. But go ahead. Right. And then uh, I got uh, Hit the Streets, Defend the Block was my latest uh, Kickstarter, uh, which is uh, you're basically in an underprivileged area and you're playing like basically superhero vigilantes that are protecting the block. So I've, they, I've heard uh, a great deal about this game on uh, the gauntlet. So and I'm sure that you heard about it there also. Is that right? I did indeed hear, hear, hear it from them. So um, what is your take considering all that we have heard over the years about that game? Um, I think it's, it's really pretty cool. Um, the artwork is outstanding. The, uh, the, the, the system is, is, uh, not a, uh, a power by the apocalypse. It's very, very, uh, for a little different, which is great to see some variety coming from that quarter. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get to play it, but uh, I'll enjoy reading it. I, so, it's based yeah, so on that, uh, up. that like one percenter motorcycle gang RPG, right? Oh yeah, uh, the uh, then was it the not the ninety nine percent? Yeah, the ninety nine percenters, right? They, they they give fucks. Yeah, yeah, that was the, yeah. That was the mechanic. <laughs> like whether they have fucks or not to give is whether <laughs> they can succeed on a roll. Yeah, that was the that was the. Uh, and, and I don't know exactly what the uh, the currency is in this game because uh, I haven't really dug too far deep into it. But it's uh, it, it's exciting to uh, to have something come come in that's a little different. The the uh, mechanic that I've heard about from that game that really excites me is the um, note cards uh that like everybody puts down note cards and you build the neighborhood you build the block that you're defending so is 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 that right is that how does that work how does that look cuz i i hear about it in the gauntlet in this kind of vague way how does it feel not quite a quiet year but it looks like they kind of do a little bit of a combination of just kind of like you know everybody's got a piece you can you can place your pieces and then draw it's like draw roads and uh, streets and stuff. The, yeah, so basically you just start detailing out little individual places. It, it, so. Is that like a session zero thing, kind of like when you're doing yeah, a relationship? It's, it's a session zero. I'll, I'll dig more into it and I'll get back to you. All right, that's cool. I mean, that game actually fascinates me because so many... Uh, uh, superhero RPGs are kind of um, obsessed with like th- like the macro level superhero experience where it's like you can tell that they're real concerned when they sit down and start balancing it that like it's real important that if you want to play Superman you can play Superman and if you want to play fucking Green Lantern you can play Green Lantern and you can fly around in fucking space and you can fight Thanos and all sort of shit but like um uh, uh, defend the block or whatever is um is uh based on like almost like street heroes, kind of like, uh, like Daredevil and like the Punisher, uh, stuff like that, right? More kind of like local heroes, and that power scale isn't as like cosmic, and um, that to me has always been like a huge selling point. I've always been like, oh shit, I would totes play that. So um, if you ever yeah. want to run it, dude, you gotta hit me up, okay? I want dibs on that. All right. Okay, uh, I, ju- I should just like schedule a night. All right, who's showing up? All right, let's just do this. Dude, shit. you you really should. Yes. I mean, especially with what's going on now, you got it's like now is the time. Now is the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think I'm just spoiled for choice. I just need to like grab three books and be like, okay, 
who's the most interested in these three books? Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to start working on this. I feel so. that. Dude. Okay. I feel I like that. It. All right. So, so Ashley, what have you been up to? What have you been up to? Ooh. Okay. So after, um, last episode when we recorded, mm-hmm. I had my call of Cthulhu, um, one shot oh, that we were doing. Yeah. Dude, that was fucking oh, creepy. That. It was so just terrifying. <laughs> so really? I've never really, yes. And I, one, I've never really done horror gaming because, um, I am a scaredy cat and I also just never really thought about how a gaming experience could really make you afraid. But, um, what I did was, uh, I live by myself in a house. And so I turned off all of the lights in my house and just had my laptop, which I had set down to like a low light setting. And I had it set up at a table next to a window that goes into my backyard and it was at night. And, uh, the, um, I can't remember what they're called, but the GM, the girl that was running it, uh, she's, very good at just setting the tone and she had creepy background music going and like there were legit times that I was actually terrified (laughs) like it was it was very creepy but it was the chaosium you were asking before if it was chaosium or something else Mm -hmm. and it was chaosium Um, and we did it for roll 20 yeah uh, and uh, how did the does Roll Twenty have like a feature that lets her choose the music and then play it to everybody, or yes. uh, how did you guys do that? Yeah, so we used um, I think Discord actually for voice chat, but they do have a voice chat feature on Roll Twenty. They also have a selection of different, like apparently a very wide selection of music you can use as kind of background music. Really? So, yeah. Oh, this is so a feature that- on Discord. No, this was on Roll Twenty. On roll 20. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, I got to fucking figure that out because that's pretty yeah. cool. I like that a lot. It was awesome. And then there was like a main screen where uh, she could show portions of the map and she could show only the portions she wanted us to see and all of that. So that was really cool. Um, there's also a feature where you can whisper something to the other players or to the GM. So if there was something that it's like we found out, um, she could whisper it to us so that the other people didn't know. Oh, so that's yeah, it was awesome. And that's a text thing, right? It was a text. That's, that's thing. a text on roll roll twenty. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, so, so, what version of uh, what version of Call of Cthulhu was it? Do you know? Seven. Did she, did she I think it okay, was current. Yeah, the current. Version. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the current nice. current one. It was. There's like two of them that are free to run on roll twenty, and it was one of them. And did you uh, uh, finish your adventure in the one sitting, or are you coming back for another one? So the way that it ended actually was kind of a cliffhanger, but it was like a we were stuck, monsters were coming, and we decided to leave it like that because what's more horror than not knowing, you know? Yeah. So it, we we decided to end it where it was, but we could have kept going with it. Oh, cool. I yeah. actually like that. I like that artistic choice that you guys made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So would you play again or are you going to play again? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, we want to play again. That same group. This is my Pathfinder group since we're not getting together to play Pathfinder. We're kind of trying some other things out. So we actually played Bluebeard's Bride this week as well. Ooh, oh, nice. Oh, That's what? one I still have yet to put on the table. Oh, it's what, so, actually? so good. Bluebeard's Bride is like so... It's supposed to be like two to four hours kind of to run it. And we ended up doing session zero took about two hours (laughs) because the way that you build your character, it's very collaborative because uh, you are playing a single character. So every every player uh, brings in um, kind of pieces of the psyche of the bride. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you, you come together to build a whole character. 
So that took quite a while to do. And then we did the first session of playing like the next night. And um, it's it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> like I didn't I didn't know how it was going to go, but it was also ended up kind of being a psychological horror type game, too. Yeah. 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 And uh, is, was that the same GM? Uh, same group, different girl GM did though. Oh wow! Yeah, you guys are doing some great stuff. That is that is fucking killer. That is yeah. that's really rad. It was awesome. It was so much fun. So I love that group. And then um, some of us from that group did a session zero for we're doing a Pathfinder two campaign. So oh, so you did the character creation? Yeah, so we did character creation for that. Um, I got some recording in with Mamre Alpha. So we got like three hours recorded last weekend. So. Great. Yeah, we're supposed to record again last night, but um, we ended up all getting together to play Animal Crossing instead because it was a fishing tournament. (laughs) So, of course. It sounds like you're very busy. You remain busy in uh, the end of days. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you got like a a lot of great gaming in, and uh, I'm really stoked to hear what uh, you have going on next time. That's great. Oh yeah. Um, how about you, Daryl? What you been up to, man? You know, gaming-wise, it's been kind of dry for me. Uh, I've been really fascinated watching my kid, um, my oldest, put on online games, though. He is, uh, he's rocking it. He, he jumped onto Roll20 and bought the premium account and has been running games for his friends. And it's just, he is so much cooler than I ever will be. I, I still struggle <laughs> to even get people online for Skype or now looking at, I, I've been uh, inducted into Zoom, so... I've been figuring out the features there. I've got a premium account that I'm going to try to do some gaming on here shortly. But uh, my depressing reality right now is that right before all of this uh, started happening, I loaned out all of my core books for the World of Darkness stuff. Oh, no. For Mage. Dude, that's, that's like a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> right. So I've got Mage, and I may open that and take a look at that finally. Which Mage? Ooh, uh, that sounds like fun. The, the uh, NWOD one. Oh, okay. Awakening. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Well, how much did you know how much that uh, premium uh, roll 20 is? I, it was for his account. It was a hundred bucks. Wow. And then yeah. is there a monthly on top of that? Is that just initiation fee or is that for like a year? I think it's for a one year. Uh, so, well, and that gave him access a to a bunch of tools to put together campaigns and put up character sheets and track everything online. So it looks like huh. it's a pretty cool system. They've been having fun making maps and dungeons with the, uh, they do the, the special lighting so you can create fog of war. You can't see around corners. You can only see things that are within your torch range. It's it's kind of intense. It's it's neat. That's that's the that's the I think that's the only feature I know of that I would be interested for the premium roll twenty because you can you can make maps, you can do you can set all the tokens, all the character sheets, all that stuff up without the premium membership. I th- I don't know what else is in there, but I was like. Eh, I, I can run games. I can chat with everybody. I can post everything. I don't need anything more than. Can that. you do the music without the premium? Yes. Oh, fuck, man. I don't. Okay, you guys have convinced me. All right, fine. You know what? Are you guys like a bunch of fucking roll twenty salespeople or something? Is this some some stealth fucking uh, product placement going on? Um, yeah, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna check this out because I've, I, you know, I guess uh, Daryl, did you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no. Other than that, I've been painting my Wild in the Streets miniatures finally. Oh, sick! So Good. I should be ready to play that by the time we're able to get back to the table together. Oh hell yeah! That's gonna be so fucking rad. That's gonna be rad. We're gonna have so much minis gaming to do. Um, I, I have been running games via um uh, Discord. Uh, myself. Uh, I I went ahead and picked up uh from the March March Badness sale. 
uh, esoteric enterprises from uh, Exalted Funeral. And Jesus fucking Christ, that was just the game that I like didn't know I needed until I had it. And uh, it's just it's just such a great premise and such a fun, simple little system. And the stuff in there is just so uh, bare bones, but just like viscerally good. Uh, I think I think that the um, chick who writes it, Emmy Allen, I think that she's kind of a Zach slash James acolyte, even though she's um, distanced herself from both of them. But mm-hmm. because of her writing style just has a uh, uh, because her writing style is influenced by them. So all of the tables are just like really um, present, you know, like everything. It just it just breathes really easily a sort of uh, uh, intensity that is of the moment. Um and so I started running two games of Esoteric Enterprises. The one uh, Richard is in, and it's kind of like the local crew. It's some of the people that I play uh, uh, Ravenous with, and then um, Richard, and then Casey, who we met through Richard's GM night. And then I do another night of Esoteric Enterprises that is uh, some Dungeon Punks crew, and then um, some Slow Death nice. Games crew kind of like together, right? And what I did with that is I I essentially, without telling the groups this, but the Dungeon Punks group figured it out. Um, I just started I started running like a living city campaign where both groups are active concurrently in the same campaign setting, Ooh. interacting with the same factions. And so what is taking place in one game is affecting what's going to go on in the plot of the second game. And um Thus far, that's just been really fun. I mean, it's just been it's been a classic kind of like world of darkness sort of uh, role playing experience where I got to build this cool city and then I got to release a couple groups in it. And one group, I don't know the the the, the old standbys, the like good old boys, man. The good old boys group is kind of uh, perplexing me a little bit. You're in that group, Richard. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I I don't disagree with that assessment. <laughs> Uh, I'm a bit perplexed myself, but we'll we'll, we'll bring it around, I think. Uh, but uh, that's really rad to hear, and I can't wait to see that feedback uh, come into the game. I'm I'm really excited. I mean, it, I think it because it's that like super deadly OSR. Like it's really brought some uh, some tension to like any any time anything could go down. Like you're like, and, and admittedly, my character is a bit of a scaredy cat, but like just time to run away <laughs> <laughs> no no i think that that's really smart because uh i mean it's a game that takes place in the contemporary world so you have firearms and explosives and stuff like that but then you also have osr characters who will take one shot and die like the, it's, it's entirely possible that like one shot will fail you and um i think I mean, i've had to have like long conversations with both groups to really explain osr role-playing because um both groups have, I mean, I mean, it's, it's been so long since the original foundational OSR material, like everybody has become very kind of ensconced in like trad game concepts. And both of both groups were like, well, where's my skills? Like, how, how do my abilities advance? Like, how about do I get additional powers as I level up? And OSR games just are not like that. You get like this little trickle of stuff at later levels, but mostly you just get like, more gold or whatever that you use to buy more stuff. You know, that's, that's, that's how OSR games kind of work. And, uh, the dungeon punks group, those guys, I explained it to them once and they really took to it. They like got it. Right. But that game, that group is a little bit older. Right. So I think that they were a little bit closer to the source material. I explained it and they go, Oh, 
so this is just uh, like BX D and D, and I'm like, yes, exactly. This is BX D and D with guns. But I feel like the uh, the um, Phoenix crew is still kind of struggling with it a little bit. Like there's this these long conversations about like, well, my skills aren't good. Where's my skills? I need more skills. And it's like you actually don't need skills in an OSR game. That's like not something that you actually need. Um, well, I think it's the I think it's the Pathfinder background of uh, some people. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Richard and I were playing this game, right? And uh, I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun. It's like my return to trad gaming. I'm like so soaked. I'm like, like, like kind of like, like narrative gaming has been kind of getting me down. I wanted to do something that was just like really visceral and really like uh, crunchy and kind of intense. And I had kind of forgotten that like OSR games aren't actually crunchy. They are intense, mm-hmm. but they're not crunchy, right? And so literally we're 30 minutes into the first fucking adventure and we come across a locked door problem, which as Dara will tell you, doesn't happen in a Plathlips world games it's literally just not possible you know what i'm saying you can't there's no locked door problem and i'm just sitting here at the fucking desk being like are you fucking shitting me session one 30 minutes locked door problem it, it takes 30 minutes for them to resolve the locked door and then and then i kid you not guys this is one for the memoirs i have never seen this before in my entire life the player that that circumvents the locked door gets into the room and then he won't let the other players in. I was like, are you Oh yeah. Wow. That was a bit frustrating. I was like, he's like, he's like, no, I'm not letting them in. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, Oh my God, Lord. Like as if, as if the um, process of like everybody puzzling over a locked door, a literal locked door wasn't like bad enough. Then it's like, it's like, no, seriously, we're going to stop the game, continue to stop the game. Um, because of it and so uh i mean it was his character it was one of those well that's what my character would do it's like ah, you got me there um but fortunately thanks thanks to uh richard's quick thinking um they found some additional role playing to do elsewhere in the building (laughs) um yeah so yeah i'm gonna have a talk with that group and kind of hope hopefully maybe kind of iron out some of the sort of rougher corners of uh group one because let me tell you group two came in swimming like fish they were just like it's like they got the game they got how to play it and then like session one for the dungeon punks crew was so fucking fun i actually played it yesterday and i just was like after it was over i was just bouncing off the ceiling in my apartment i was Mm -hmm. just like i just couldn't wait for session two you know um Session it's so two. interesting how two different groups that are playing basically, like you said, in the same universe, it can go so differently. That's always interesting <sighs> to me. Sister, I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> I've already been talking. To my, uh, I've already been monologuing here too much, so I'm not going to. Um, uh, but just to say, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Uh, Esoteric Enterprises, if you're into the kind of games, if you listen to the podcast and you listen to what I have to say and you think, oh, I like the kind of games that Brendan likes, Find a copy of Esoteric Enterprises. It's so fucking good. I love that game. Uh, you might consider looking on Exalted Funeral. Uh, a full metal <laughs> RPG continues to be supported by Exalted Funeral. Stop by our friends at exaltedfuneral.com and get the very best in underground role-playing and esoterica. Exalted Funeral are friends of the show and your one-stop shop for all the weird role-playing material that you don't want to spend a dozen different international shipping fees to get. Check them out today and let them know that we sent you. Also, check out bonus episode 34 with Matt Kelly and learn all about this great shop from the horse's mouth. ExaltedFuneral.com I think that currently Esoteric Enterprises is sold out on that site, so I feel bad. Um, I, I, I literally I'm don't sure know where you can get the PDF from. You were saying, Daryl, sorry? 
No, I'm sure they can get the PDF from it. Mm. I, you know, they don't have the PDF there. You can get the PDF on um on a uh, drive through though. I I, I or, uh, or edge, drive through, but okay, PDF is available on drive through. So and I, and I think it's well fucking worth it. It's such a fucking great game. Uh, maybe we'll try and get uh, Emmy Allen on here at some point. That'd be rad. So uh, that brings us to the topic of our show today. We're about halfway halfway in, we're going to finally get to the topic. And uh, uh, we had kind of talked about talking about gaming communities and building gaming communities. Um, kind of like what goes into that, what goes into sustaining them, and um, like whether it's worth the effort, and what kind of some of the lessons that we've learned are. I think that uh, Richard has some pretty unique insights into this as a cam, uh, not campaign, a convention organizer. And then both Daryl. Campaign organizer is probably closer. (laughs) Both Daryl and I have uh, established like um, nights, like uh, local game store nights that have been, I'm going to call them long running nights at this point because the the length of them is in multiple years but um i think both of us have had pretty different experiences with how that's gone so um so so uh what are your guys takes you know daryl would you like to would you like to start us off with some hot takes on uh, monster mondays and your thoughts on community building and the rpg community yeah, so I, I think uh, as with any good conversation, we should start by by framing it and talking about the differences between uh, a gaming community versus you and your friends hanging out at the table at home. Mm. Uh, I think those are, are pretty different ideas and concepts, and you go about uh, setting them up very differently. So if, if it's just me and my friends at the table, I'm just going to invite my friends over. I'm going to have some Cheetos, some Mountain Dew, uh, provide refreshments, provide a table, and we're going to sit around for a half hour talking before we game and and probably uh, focus more on the friends aspect and the fun aspect of just hanging out with your buds, which is a lot different from, I want to say it's a step up in professionalism to organize an event even if it's a single table event you know monster mondays started as a single table event at uh, games U, and the concept was just to provide a regular meetup uh, based on my experiences organizing uh, guild of gamers which is my my board game slash miniatures slash everything meetup it's the the challenge i see most people having is that they start by group thinking how to set things up. They want everybody's opinion. They want everybody to key in and, mm. and have a say. And realistically, as a community organizer, the most success I've had is when you say, nope, it's Monday nights. It's six o'clock. Can you be there? Excellent. And so you start with just setting a time, setting a date and moving forward from there. But then when you get to the table, instead of you know fun time, you need to focus on the games. You're there to provide games. It's a, it's a service more than just a hangout. Um, and then you've got to worry about things like drop-ins and drop-outs and expansions. If you want to grow that community, you need to worry about how do you do that. If you're a single GM and you are a GM in a desert of uh, you know nothing but players, you need to start cultivating some more GMs. Um, like, and uh, I know that there's some really good local gaming communities that do that. Do Better Gaming is is one of my favorites, where Jamie takes and uh she converts her players into gms and offers training mm-hmm. courses and classes and sessions just for gms to learn to gm so that she can grow the community there so uh, th- i think that's that's the, f- the key distinction in my mind is that your your home game is awesome but your community has to have a goal in mind uh like a mission statement are you there to provide gaming are you there to grow a large community are you there with a particular angle like social uh social justice gaming 
Um, do you have a particular genre of gaming? You know, Monday Night Monsters is, is primarily focused on horror gaming is, is what I've tried to focus on. So I think those are some of the aspects that I would consider first when I think about defining community versus home game. Any, anybody else have <coughs> thoughts on that? That all sounds completely on target to me, man. Mm-hmm. How about you, Richard? Well, that, that seems like, uh, I mean, Daryl is, uh, you know, we, we co-mentor each other on the, in this area. So like, um, I mean, I think that at least my personal mission has been to grow, grow gaming beyond the classic stereotype. And that has been, uh, you know, I want people from back in the day, but I also want people, new people because without new people without new people we die so uh that's kind of where that's kind of where i like to you know point myself and uh i I think everybody needs to realize that you know we are uh you know we are people and uh we need to have other people to play games with so you know maybe listen for once (laughs) (laughs) richard I feel like you're huh? trying to say something, but you were just kind oh. of kind of moving around it. Like, c- come on, come on. Like, re- really, just put 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 a finer point on that. Explain to me what what it is you want want to say. Well, I want to say that I mean this. A lot of people that get into community organizing think it's about them. Mm. It's like a cult of personality thing. Is that what you're trying? To it's say? a cult mm. of per- personality thing. It's about them. It's about. Oh, they are they are the community. Without me, there isn't a community. Mm. Well, that's not true and never will be right. true. So I think uh, you know, that's one of those things where you kind of have to stow the eagle ego a little bit if you want to expand the community beyond the you know the six people you initially attract to your meetup yeah so and uh, i'm sorry to interrupt you but um so in in that angle um what would you say are some of your goals in uh creating the communities that you've created uh my goal is for the for those communities to be uh inclusive that we are uh that people meet new people that can help them tell better stories or play more games uh, that uh, without that, without this, we're going to, you know, we, we, we always fragment like humanity continuously has to have some sort of us and them, but there is no them in this particular instance. So there's this, there's this like sometimes this kind of feedback into creating these gangs, almost. Anyway, never mind. Let's. Well, so, I, mean, I think I think it, I, I think Richard brings up this interesting point, and this does kind of circle into some of my experience with this, mm-hmm. where um, people kind of want to form cliques, and I I think that that is like uh, like almost like human nature, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't want to sound cynical here, or um, like I have a low view of of like human nature, human potential. But, you know, Stanford prison study, right? Like this is just, this is an observable, quantifiable uh, phenomenon that people kind of like, when you when you gather them in a place and then you put a, a name on it or a symbol, all of a sudden this weird tribalism uh, emerges. And unless there is someone with their hand on the rudder to work against that and to remind them the mission statement is supposed to be about openness and inclusive inclusivity, all of a sudden you can find some kind of like very, very cliquish 
very, very gatekeepy kind of stuff going on, like like right under your nose. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. I, I well, I kind of want to hear from Ashley. Mm-hmm. As, uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up here for a minute here and see what she has to say. Yeah, no, I from to Brendan's point, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is human nature, and I'm not a cynical person. I'm like the opposite of a cynical person. I'm the eternal optimist, but I I feel like anything that humans do they try and segment into groups, um, whether that's good, bad, whatever. Um, it's it's something that happens, so it would make sense that immediately that's going to happen in the gaming community. Um, so to Daryl's points, I have actually been in on the other side of Monster Mondays. I go when it meets every Monday. Um, I have been going to that. So um, when he was talking about setting a date and time, it's not groupthink. That's very much how it goes, and I think that that works really well because... Uh, someone like me who has things going on all the time, uh, it's very much a, this is when we're going to be there. If you're not, it's not going to be like a, well, when can everyone get together kind of thing? It's just a, no, this is how it's going to happen. So um, that is different from gaming with a group of just your friends. Um, As Dr. Chuck Tingle said, uh, that it's basically collective story. It's a collective story told between, no, what is it? A collective dream shared with buds is what he Mm. called gaming. (laughs) <laughs> and I love that, you know, and so I think when you're looking at the uh, the friend community aspect of it, that's what it is. But it's it's true that when you're going into conventions or you're providing a service, it is a different experience because you can't be as, you know, well, when can you get together or whatever? You know, it's just you set set it and go. Well, one, one of my takes whenever I run a game is to try and be that kind of iron figure around which everything else revolves. Because I've found that, especially in our contemporary day and age, it's important to uh, just establish when something is happening, what mm-hmm. is happening, and who is involved. And I like to make that stuff very, very clear. So I think that Daryl's point of organizing that on essentially like a larger level is I totally take it 100% because like otherwise you can just devolve into this death by committee where people just, it just becomes like this big bunch of navel gazing where everybody wants to do motions about what game to be played, but nobody ever actually plays any games. Who the Mm -hmm. fuck wants to do that? That's not fun at all. But Mm -hmm. Daryl, can you speak as to how, um, in your organizing experience, you've uh, resisted like pulls towards factionalism, or have you experienced that in the communities that you've made? So, in the in the communities that I specifically have created, um, the factionalism isn't an issue based on my overall goal. And I think that having that that clarity of purpose and that that written statement is is important to keeping things on keel because. Factionalism happens because we want to have familiarity and we want to have regularity and we want to know the the people that we're we're gaming with and bringing new people into those situations can be challenging unless that's part of your mission and and that really is one of my main focuses is I don't want I don't want to game with the same 10 people over and over and over again. I want it to change. I want to have some people say, hey, you know what? I'm out for the next couple of weeks and then I'm going to go find a new player to replace them and bring somebody new into the mix. Because mm-hmm. realistically, as uh, I liked Richard's goal and I'm, I'm really on, on par with it. When you're building a community specific to gaming, it's about reaching new people. It's about pulling new people in. And one of my personal goals is to specifically pull marginalized people in or people who have been challenged in the past Mm -hmm. um, in other situations where maybe they've encountered that factionalism and to specifically cultivate a space where, you know, okay, 
we're uh, when we had two games going at once, it's like, all right, you know, we're going to play this game for four sessions for four weeks. And then intentionally, we're going to mix it up so that you're not going to play that same game with the same people. Uh, and just setting that limit and say, hey, you know, there's there's not going to be any sessions that are going to run more than four weeks here uh, sets up the expectation that, OK, you know, it's done and that's over and we're going to move on to the next thing. So keeping it moving and keeping it flowing um, with the the Gilda Gamers meetups, uh, we avoid the factionalization by saying, all right, you know, we're going to we don't play um, uh, risk as a game we play short one to two hour sessions so that we can get three different kind of time slots you know to two hour games and then people go to the kitchen get food start the next game so it i build in opportunities to mix and mingle and keep things fresh uh, by intentionally mixing up those factions so that people are forced to encounter new people even if they have some familiarity with their their spouse or significant other who they're gaming with or in some cases uh just a familiar face at the table even if that familiar face is me uh running around like a, a chicken with my head cut off trying to make everybody happy now your your uh community started at a game store right you started at a game store but then uh you're specifically your role-playing one monster mondays began mm-hmm. at a game store and then it sort of migrated into your home, right? Yes. Um, what what was the what was that experience like both like what were the challenges you found in the game store and then what were the challenges that you found in your home by comparison? So the the uh, my original idea was to have it at the game store so that we would be visible and I wanted large props and cool things on the table. Um, when you're sitting in a game store, if you if you have an opportunity to just to sit for a few hours or half a day or spend a whole day, um, you're going to see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people that the store owners know, a lot of people that the employees know, a lot of just regulars hanging out that everybody knows. It's, it's kind of like a cheers scenario. You know, somebody walks in, hey, Norm, <laughs> uh, which is glorious. And I love that aspect of it. But for every 10 regulars, there's somebody who walked in either on accident because they thought it was the craft store next door or they're coming in looking for something that they think they can find there, whether it's a chess set or some specific color of of acrylic paint. Um, But they're not there specifically to seek out a community. Uh, And at that point, it's 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 akin to ambushing them and bringing them into the hobby. Um, And so. When we're sitting at the game store and I've got the giant character sheet up, the the giant World of Darkness poster-sized character sheet, uh, it's a good visual draw. People will walk up to the table, hey, what's this? And I will stop and I will take a moment and say, oh, let me tell you about what we're doing here. And we'll, we'll take a quick break. It's always a good opportunity to take a break. So it's nice to have that organic um, you know, new player or new person uh, walking up to the table. And for even the regulars, just seeing us there on the regular they're like oh hey you know this this person shows up and runs a game i might check out and see what it's about and then game stores uh some of them not all of them have the ability to put up a post on a bulletin board uh or an event schedule to to let people know when and where you're going to be there which is fantastic uh but some of the challenges were specifically space um not all stores are set up with a lot of space for for gaming and not all of them are willing to commit tables for specifically role-playing games because it's not a huge revenue generator unless you're buying every snack, you know, yeah. that they got in the case. Yeah, that's the thing is it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird proposition for the game store, isn't it? Yeah, and that was that was one of the the impetuses for moving to the home game was I just I wasn't able to 
create a solid revenue stream for the store other than just driving people there to meet. Um, so I need, I, you know, one of my goals is to get back into the game store to find some game lines that I can run in the store that they can put on their shelves. But uh, at the time I was, you know, trying to slog through every one of the new world of darkness game lines, which is awesome, but not available in hard copy that a retailer can pick up. So yeah, that was a challenge. Moving into the house was awesome. Um, it allowed us more comfort. Uh, it allowed us access to a kitchen and it allowed us a quiet space, a dedicated space where the only thing that interrupts us are my wonderful children or my awesome dog. Uh, I was going to say it brought in it brought in a dog. So that's exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I I'd like to point out that Games U has a mascot dog. Luna oh. is there quite often. So mm-hmm. if you hang out there often enough, you'll see Luna. Um, but gaming at the house is awesome. It's just it's harder to invite a stranger in. And there's not the same level of exposure for that random encounter, that that random person. Yeah. Um I imagine, like, did you come into any problems with kind of like, because you said you wanted to have this social justice angle, uh, talking to communities that might not have been welcomed into gaming circles before. Uh, How was the gaming experience with like, um, like uh, working with the store management to foster that? So um, I will, I will preface this by saying that my time spent in game stores outside of games use specifically has been fairly limited just based on geography. Uh, and I used to hang out at, um, shoot, what was the one on Greenfield? It was a war gaming store. Greenfield? Um, what the deuces? Oh, no. Oh, the imp- Empire. Uh, Empire Games, yeah. Oh, right, Empire right, 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 right. My, it was my, my, when I used to run the Malifaux League out there. Um, so my experiences between those two stores were different. Empire games is shut down now and they did a great, it was a great store for miniatures. It was wonderful, but their culture was very different from games. You, um, huge shout out to Jeff at games. You, he, he intentionally builds very socially aware gaming and makes wonderful, uh, safe spaces. And I know that's kind of a challenging term for some people. Um, but it really is, it's a space where I've seen more diversity at that game store than I have at a lot of other locations, um, just because it's something that he specifically fosters. And him and I, Jeff and I sat down uh, before he even opened Games U, Jeff and I were talking. Um, he showed up to one of the original Dons of Gaming meetups. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Richard was there. It was a, a wonderful faithful night. night. It was. Uh, oh, that was that's a historical meeting right yeah, there. Yeah, truly. In the annals of Arizona role-playing, that one will go down in infamy because of the characters involved. I was there early. I'd like to say I was there early, and I had a beer, and then I left. <laughs> oh, you missed a lot. Good night. I know that's what I hear, man. It's like all this epic shit, and I left because I wanted to get home and watch TV or something. Anyway, go ahead. But one of the things that we specifically discussed that night with uh, with Jeff because he was opening his game store was what kind of space gamers were looking for and what kind of space he could cultivate. And Jeff was on board from the get go with you know, hey, I'm not going to have a back room. I'm not going to have a closed door. Uh, a locker room situation where people can feel safe with their misogyny or safe with their racism, however thinly veiled it might be. And we were all on board with it. Uh, and I will say that once I started gaming at, at, at the store, uh, I don't remember what the comment was. I made a comment and he called me out on it. And I was like, ooh, 
he's really on this because wow. I didn't even realize wow. what I was saying at the time and, and how. Dude, uh, yeah, that's uh, so that's something else. That's for, something for him else. to call me out. I was I was proud, and uh, it's it's a great store. And I know that uh, Darren out at Imperial Outpost also similarly runs a really awesome, very aware game store. His staff is on the ball with that, uh, with regards to that uh, angle as well. So those two stores are fantastic. I really can't speak to many others because I just don't spend time there. Between Imperial Outpost and Games U, those are my jam. So. What about you? What uh, I know that you uh, work out at Depot. Do you have uh, stories of? Well, I mean, that's the thing is, I don't really work out at Depot anymore. Like my, um, like okay, so in the sort of like uh, Wild West days of Full Metal RPG, uh, we had a number of different hosts, and I want it was one of my goals as the as the show runner at the time or whatever the fuck you want to call it was to kind of expand our footprint and make sure that everybody had like projects that they were working on that were not only like creatively fulfilling to them, but also um, would, would have the branding on them to get, get some word out into the community. So um, at that point, Ben Bailey was still on the show and uh, he and I were talking and he and I actually, when we were in high school, we had gone to this um, like these, these various game nights that were at the role-playing stores that were around our high school and we both had these like really fond memories of the pickup games that you would get at those stores. And as a kid, you could essentially get like initiated into um, games you might not necessarily have had any insight into if you uh, just like uh, you know with your limited resources been able to buy a role playing book. You know, you, you you got a way to experience like uh, he played some spell jammer and he was introduced to uh, Shadowrun that way and. I had played some mage that way and um, the Ascension, not the awakening. And uh, we wanted something similar to that because the, the feeling of camaraderie that you, you, that you experienced there and the kind of wacky tales that came out of it of like crazy gonzo games, we were like, you know, we were nostalgic as RBK always says, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So Ben set out, (laughs) what's that? It is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Yeah. So Ben set out to build this uh, RPG community at Game Depot and I have to admit, it was kind of rocky right from the start because, like, it, it just as it turned out that, like, you know, organization of groups was not what you would call, like, one of his, like, fo- foundational skill sets. And there was some uh, miscommunications with the management, and then they kind of took me aside and asked me to take over. And, and this was not, like, my first calling, so I kind of did the best that I could with it for about two years. And by the time the two year uh, uh, like number had come up, I was just exhausted. I had too many fucking uh, plates in the air, and I had to get one off of my rotation at least. And so I kind of handed it over to essentially that group's one of its founding members uh, named Noble. And it, to the best of my knowledge, it has continued on as a place where you can get a weekly game. Uh, with friendly people who like to game weekly, who are, I think, very inclusive and welcoming, um, and who like DCC. So it's like you're going to get a DCC game every every other week, and then every other on the off week, you're going to get a different game that's not DCC. But um, I think what really ended up challenging me about it uh, wasn't so much the organization and the publicity and stuff like that, it was definitely this kind of feeling that I couldn't really do the role playing that I wanted to do in that setting. Like it all, I almost felt like it was really hard to get a game that wasn't just sort of like regressing into kind of derpiness, you know, um, which to be totally honest, like 
how could I have complained about that? Because like, that's the kind of gaming that I used to do when I was in high school. So it was almost like the thing that I had wanted to happen was happening, but uh, my taste for it was gone. And um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 I look back on that experience and I don't know if it was successful or not. I go into game Depot and I talk to the owners there, Dave and Patty and Patty has always been like very effusive about it. That the, like connections the people there have made and the friendships that they have created is like heartwarming and something that she thinks is valuable to the community and wonderful to see. But at the same time, I look at it and I'm like, did we, you know, were we a blunt edge or did we get any new blood? You know what I'm saying? You know, I I just don't know. I think, I think there's a little new blood, but I think what you're describing, and I think this is kind of the direction I wanted to go, which was, talking about if you wanted to start a thing like someone listening to this wanted to start a thing what what would they what should they expect and what should they be kind of uh, uh. seeing so i i think like the full metal club now the mini sub now it's called mini RPG sub yeah. club yeah mini sub rpg club uh it has it had momentum right there the it, it the very beginning we had you know like i was i, th- I don't know if i was there for the first full metal but i was there for first couple yeah you were there for a number of them um we had three or four tables running consistently yeah well but it was it was like you would you the first couple was you know trying to get enough people at a table right yeah you get one or two it was but that's that's just momentum getting brand awareness getting people uh you know and, and patty i think points certain people she thinks would be good for the for the group mm-hmm. towards the group which I have mixed reviews on that idea, but uh, <laughs> um, but I think it's establishing momentum. It's a, it's that what Daryl was saying, which was we're going to meet on this night. I'm going to be there. I'm committed to this, and and, oh, yeah. and you know, get getting momentum built up. I mean, there was a point when we were doing for Arizona Game Fair. We do two, we did Tuesday night game game nights, yeah. that, and that that grew out of. Like Andrew Long and a group of five of us, we played D and D, and we started playing board games, and we 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 that's kind of where some of Game Fair came from, and we kept going, and we eventually made Tuesday nights a public game night, and we we started at uh, Boulders on Southern uh, as a, as a board game night. And eventually when Andrew moved into the warehouse or actually before he moved into the warehouse, we did it at the co-working space where we started to see, you know, we, instead of having like three tables, we had like five or six tables, but it was, it took, you know, a long time to build it up. And eventually we had, we started to do a beginner's D and D night right. on the same night as the, the board game night. And at its height, height, uh, we had about like, 60 people playing beginners DD yeah in a warehouse plus in board Tempe. game <laughs> plus the board games which is probably like 20 people uh 20 you know, 20 25 people um but it, it and it was actually a, a much higher mix of uh men and uh, women than i've ever seen in a lot of game stores at this, yeah. at this warehouse because i mean i mean we, we, because kind of to your point like if you're talking about like getting it established, I think yes. you and Daryl and Andrew, you guys have it right, which is, I mean, first of all, to your point, yes, 
if you build it, they will come. You have to show up. You have to put your fucking name tag out. You have to stand there with your book. If nobody's scheduled to play, somebody walks up to you and says, what are you doing here? You say, oh, I'm, I'm going to run this fucking game. And then you'll if it's just you and them, then you run it just for them, right? If you do that every fucking week, it'll, keep, it'll build momentum. You're 100% right. But if I had to do over again, and this is no burn on D- on uh, Game Depot because I love Game Depot. I still shop there. I'll always shop there. But I would not marry the club to the store. I would go off site because, like Daryl was saying, building a financial incentive as to why you should be there is like is like critical, right? I mean, they are going to be offering up so much square footage that literally the economics of role playing just cannot justify because. Those dudes are those people are not going to go down, and they're not each going to buy like a core book every fucking time that the club meets. You know, it's just not going to happen. And um, even if they're buying, I mean, and they buy dice once, and then they buy maybe some guy buddy buys a, a source book once. But um, most of the time, they're going to be buying snacks. And then if they're smart and they start, like, organizing amongst themselves, they're going to start bringing in pizzas and stuff. And uh, at that point, basically, the game store itself is just being used for its real estate as, like, a clubhouse. And that's not good for the store, you know? And 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 they're kind of looking at you like you are kind of an oddball in my schedule. You have a huge footprint. You bring in no revenue. Like, we love the idea of you, but we hate the reality of you, you know? Yep. And that's a, that's a really unsavory position to be in. Well, Start your, go ahead, go ahead. That's really important to, to keep in perspective if you are planning on building a community, um, is part of your community is interacting with other communities. Are you good for the larger picture? Are you doing things yeah. to help everybody? Are you doing things to... Uh, be good stewards of the hobby that you're you're participating in because like you said your your community is fantastic and may have a noble purpose but if it's not helping the game store that's hosting it you know look at other options yeah yeah like i gotta say at this at this point in the gaming like uh economic spectrum i just look at bars and i'm just like it's just a matter of time before game stores essentially wither and start to disappear and we're going to start seeing play spaces where you buy drinks rising up. Kind of the snakes and lattes mm-hmm. and then there's this place in Phoenix that's allegedly going to open at some point called the Silver Key Lounge. I think we're going to see more of this. Um, I think you can just jump. You can just like, you know, jump right to the end and like go to find a bar that has like a cool play area. There's one here. It's not Boulders on Southern, but Boulders on Broadway has an amazing playroom. And if I had to do over again and I'd do a full metal RPG like club or mini convention or something like that, I'd fucking just be like, what's it going to take for me to like call dibs on this room like once a month or once a week or whatever and just and fill it up with people who are playing Dungeons and Dragons. You know what I'm saying? That's that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how I would do it like uh, hindsight 2020. And also remember, still point your players to physical gaming stores so that we can support them. You know, well, they get their books know, and things from physical stores as much as possible, because it, without those physical stores in place, it doesn't matter if you're playing at the bars. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I used to really uh, believe that. And I really love the physical stores that I play at, the brick and mortar stores. But over the last couple of years of doing Full Metal RPG, I've actually, because I used to go online and get in flame wars with people that hated on the brick and mortar stores. I didn't understand why they were so hateful towards physical locations. But um, 
over the last couple of years, I've had some experiences that have kind of enlightened me as to what is going on there. And uh, that's a topic for a different episode. We'll fucking cover that <laughs> another time. Um, Ashley, uh, yeah. I feel like uh, we haven't uh, included you as much as perhaps we could have. What, please, mm-hmm. please. What, what are your final thoughts? What are your final thoughts as we're wrapping this up? Uh, take us out. Yeah, honestly, it's been really interesting to hear the other the other perspectives because I have been a member of the community, but I have not been a community community leader in that I haven't been, you know, putting on conventions and things like that. So um, as far as this topic is concerned with community, I feel like uh, Daryl in particular and Richard and you have had a lot more to offer by way of perspective than I have. Um, but one thing that I do like that Daryl said is, are you being a good steward for your community? Which I think anyone can do at any level. So even if you're someone who is quote unquote just a player like you're, you're not GMing yet even though you might get into it you're not putting on conventions things like that no matter what level you're at in the community you can still do that outreach and bring other people into the hobby because there are people out there who just don't know how to get into it or they haven't found a place that's comfortable so if you can make that comfortable place if you can create a place that makes them want to come in and learn then that's just one more way to grow the community so i think it's important to remember that you are representative of your of your community no matter what level you're at Amen to that. Amen to that. And I think you're yeah, right. You're right. We, uh, it's uh, important. We are ambassadors for what we do, like yes. all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and uh, we are those, those very, very poor ambassadors. So it's our job to uh, not do that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think, Richard? Any closing thoughts? Um, I, I think that's. I mean, I think we've covered a pretty good swath. Uh, my my next. My next level idea if you're if you're building communities and I, I, I did one of these and I do I did a, a different version of it is do you know go if you're gonna do something at a store don't just go play games at a store pick a game or pick a, an idea like hey do you want to be a GM I'm gonna run a GM training night or or pick a game like hey i'm gonna demo this game you know that's on the shelf Mm. you know give give them some value but also you know if you train gms gms buy more books per capita than any player that is is true you know know, i think we'll ever play there's there's an interesting kind of um concept embedded in what you're saying here richard where you're you're almost kind of implying the, the convention space which has a lot of playing in it and but like demoing, but it also has like seminars and kind of like training and, and, and like product reviews and stuff like that, that you could conceivably, uh, I mean, also cons have like a big mercantile space, right? And like the game yeah. store itself is a mercantile space, but you could further kind of segment what's happening at cons and then bring just an aspect of a con to your store in terms of, panels, seminars, demos, and that those things have a higher kind of like value per square foot than just a bunch of like middle-aged people being like, roll the hit, what's the dragon's AC, this kind of shit, right? Yeah, exactly. We we can bring uh, our knowledge to these to the to these spaces, whether it's a bar or a store. But even you know, I, I I'm a believer that you know there there will be play spaces in the real world that are public, and there it, if there aren't, then I think we we also die. So mm-hmm. I, I whether it's yeah. the whether it's a, a bar a barcade a, a board game 
arcade or a or a, a, a store retail store, we need to you know bring people to it and also have something that you know because when i ran i ran a uh hey gia meetup let's just meet up i had like you know 30 people there yeah just to talk about gming like Mm -hmm. let's you know let's bring something you know to the space that's not maybe just like four hours of roll to hit yeah yeah um and i think i think you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and close off this this episode with a little bit of a of a prognostication because i think that your message of um the urgency of bringing people into the fold is i think people maybe have been like resting on the fact that we've been in this era of great bounty where there's been a lot of role playing on tv and there's been a lot of role playing on the internet and there's been a lot of interest in it but i'm gonna call it here so you can mark the date what is it the the, the people are hearing this on 4 15 i'm prognosticating that we are on the downhill side of what i'm gonna call like the role playing bubble I think that the last five years, we've been seeing a lot of interest and we've been seeing a lot of like energy going into this community. And I think that we're about to start seeing declining returns. I think we might actually already be in declining returns. Um, uh, and I have lots of reasons for that. And I'm very happy to like expand on those things. Uh, the kind of like bellwethers that I'm watching that say, um, the kind of golden age of RPGs is about to like draw into a twilight, but, um, but we don't have time for that today. We'll have to discuss that another time. Maybe that's something that as the listeners and the members of the cast can kind of like think about and kind of look around your society, look around your scene and think to yourself, what do I see here? Uh, Because it's very easy to think, Oh, well, what did I see yesterday? That must still be true today. But, I think if we look around, we there are some telltale signs in the wind that um, the great ti- kind of tidal wave of role playing enthusiasm has crested, and we are on the other side of it. Any hoosies, um, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Full Metal RPG. We would like to thank Braden and all of our patrons over at Patreon. If you would like to join their ranks, check out Patreon.com/slash Full Metal RPG. You can also reach us via email, fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com, discord, tinyurl.com slash fullmetaldiscord, and then we're also on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, just search Full Metal RPG, we come right up. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for joining me today for this episode. Uh, Richard, Ashley, and Daryl, thank you all for taking so much time out of your day to work through some technical issues and talk about the community of gaming. You guys are all a wonderful gaming community. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> <laughs>